0: Hello friends and welcome to the Coffee and Deer Podcast with Nick and the Doctor, sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle Coffee Company was built on the mission to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. Our guest on this episode is Kristen Geiger. She's the Director of grassroots Support here at the National Deer Association. She's also an outdoors woman through and through. And uh, she's going to talk about NDA branches and volunteers and why you should consider Uh, volunteering and being part of that. We'll also talk a little hunting and cover some other areas as well. This is also an Ask NDA Anything episode. We have one question, but it's a good one. Makes it easy to pick who's going to win the hat, by the way. And then we have the B team report. And I think, Mike, you know, you and I haven't talked about this, but I, I think you and I may have a joint B team report that we could share. So when we get to that point, we'll have to discuss that. And so without further ado, let's say hello to a man that has been hearing gobbles in his sleep, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. I have been putting in the time, haven't I? Well, that's the way turkey season goes, right? It's just, it's this miserable grind and it starts out and you're like, oh, I had a close call this day, but I got all kinds of time. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh, I'm not hearing any more gobbles and it's down to like a week left. And so we're quickly approaching that.
1: Well, it is. And the one good thing that I'll say is that getting back to Pennsylvania was a nice reset. Uh, New York is different. I'm I'm not going to say I'm behind the learning curve. I just have to say that the learning curve is rather steep. And I need to, I think, extend extend my reach a little bit to to get on some birds right now because it has been very quiet four days up here and haven't even heard a bird you know cross sign i've found areas but nothing that really gets me super excited and came home to pennsylvania though hunted your place and and got my reset hunted the game lands got my reset you know i was in them having a really more interesting hunt so the the potential is there and we do have time i'm not going to be all doom and gloom just yet. No, there's still a
0: little bit of time, and it does stand to reason that we got a chance to hunt together a little bit, and it, it's just automatic that there's going to be a B-team story as part of that. And so uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later when we get to the B-team report. Hey, as I mentioned, ask NDA anything. Y'all are letting us down a little bit. We got one question. Now, I do understand that this time of year is like, uh, you know, I think as Lindsay Thomas describes it, by the way, This is episode 49. We have episode 50 coming up and I'll give you a tease that I've asked Lindsey to be our guest on the 50th episode because he was our very first guest whenever we launched this thing. And you know maybe we didn't think it would last five episodes, but here we are at 50. And so Lindsey Thomas, our chief communications officer is gonna be the guest on episode 50. But anyway, Lindsey would say things like, we're as far away from deer hunting season right now as we're gonna be. And so his point being that sometimes I don't want to say interest wanes, but focuses on things like Little League turkey hunting and whatnot, and so uh, we don't get a lot of questions this time here. We do have one, and it's a good one. I think we can spend a minute or so on it, Mike, and the question is, is it ever too early to start scouting for whitetails? Uh, This comes from Tom in Tennessee, and uh, further in his email, he describes what he's talking about. He's out turkey hunting, of course, and he has cameras out, and Uh, seeing some deer and he's kind of wondering it doesn't really matter what he sees right now and so on and so forth. So Mike, I'll let you go first. Is it ever too early to start scouting for whitetails?
1: The simple answer is no. And I am right there with him because half of the time, especially when turkey hunting is slow, you saw in my Instagram feed, I'll actually do a post about deer scouting because I'm out there and I've found some really good and some of my best deer hunting spots while turkey hunting, but, um, you know, as we all know, some late season scouting before the actual spring green up can give you a pretty good idea about the deer activity, more specifically the buck and rut activity based on the sign laid down in the fall. It's still very easy to see before the spring green up, so getting that information, but also using it with a certain Grain of salt is also important, for example, if it's a potential um, hot amount of sign on an oak flat and that oak flat doesn't produce a food source that year, then all of a sudden that sign is pretty much defunct for the upcoming year if there's no food to pull the deer into that area. However, what I'll say is that you keep that in your memory bank and realize that, hey, I know that when it's a good oak year, there's gonna be activity here and here's the sign. And, and that's the thing is always being able to use something that you found, but making sure that you're using it in a very productive and logical and commonsensical way that's going to help you optimize and be a better hunter moving forward. So, I mean, just to the simple fact of using turkey season or even prior to turkey season to scout for deer, is is a wonderful idea. It's it's something that will definitely increase your success rate, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good answer, and I, I believe in scouting or you know scouting habitat as much as scouting deer themselves. Because if you have the good habitat and you find it, you're going to have the deer. It just that's just the way it goes. You know, you're not going to in May or June. You're not going to be. Locating that buck that you're after and trying to pattern that deer at this point. I mean, that, that's not what you're doing this time of year. You're looking for things like, uh, like the, the doctor said, their old sign that was put down. You're looking for uh, where the good habitat's going to be, uh, getting a handle on, uh, as we get later into the summer, what uh, type of mass production there's going to be out there. Food sources are important. And so I'm not saying that you don't get any value out of trail camera pictures and whatnot this time of year. You may. But again, scout the habitat, and I think you'll be in good shape. And incidentally, I was thinking about this while you were talking, Mike. Uh, We've had Bo Martonic on the show before. He's a friend of the show. Uh, He's got the East East Meets West podcast. I mean, Bo is never not scouting. He is always scouting. He always has cameras running. He always has boots on the ground. And so I just encourage you to check out his show.
1: One last thing before we close out this question, because I said you said it was a good question, is I find it easier to see terrain features now when there's uh, the vegetation is not really blocking that. You can actually appreciate some of the subtle terrain features as well. So, uh, again, just one more reason to get out there and do some scouting. It's just
0: a pretty time of year to be out there, too, which is nice. You don't want to be out there in the middle of summer trying to look around. I got a cool trail camera picture the other day. There were several young bucks. Well, I don't know. I think they're young. It's hard to tell so much this time of year, uh, out feeding in one of my food plots. And the reality is, if even one or two of those bucks are still there in the fall, I'd be surprised. There's going to be a lot of moving around here and uh, some other deer moving in, I'm sure. So, all right. That's an easy one. Uh, We got a hat going Uh, out to Tennessee we had the one question and that's one way to ensure you're going to win the hat so uh, Tom you get the hat buddy congratulations to you please send me your address so I can get that sent out to you all right let's go ahead and get to the interview with Kristen Geiger It is my pleasure to introduce my colleague at the National Deer Association, Kristen Geiger, to the Pot Coffee and Deer podcast. And uh, Kristen, I've been hinting about doing this and wanted to get you on the show. And if you're a listener of the show, you may have heard that, but um, you have an important role at the NDA. And so I appreciate you taking some time out from that role to talk with us today. Uh, Kristen is the director of grassroots support. She also is a commissioner for the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and she also is very much an outdoors woman as well, really lives the lifestyle. So, Kristen, that's my introduction, but I'm sure you'll do a whole lot better than I did introducing yourself.
2: Well, you covered it from a 30,000 foot approach, so I guess just to dial in a little bit, um, I'm a a mother of two. Um, They are 15 and 13 respectively, so, currently in the trenches of surviving the teenage years while also trying to uh, play Uber driver and keep hunting and fishing as a relevant part of their very busy daily active lives. Uh, we also run a couple small businesses here, um, an exterior cleaning company and a, and a laser engraving company. Um, those are primarily Warren's Wheelhouse, not mine, but um, we are never lacking something to do. Um, when we can, we take the kids and, and spend as much time outdoors as we can. We hunt fish, um, have the typical American backyard garden, and um, enjoy eating what it is that, that we harvest, whether it's in the woods or or in the garden.
0: Well, I know just by seeing your social media and talking to you that you are not letting grass grow under your feet, so you all are very busy there. And uh, as you as you described, you just you play a lot of roles. And so, let me ask you this: Tell us about your career path. How did you end up here at the NDA?
2: Well, it's kind of been a uh, a windy back road, if you will. Um, I would imagine that if your listeners are are much like us, they probably would rather that than a smooth paved route, anyways. Um, so, it started out uh, in in college. I went to Penn State, majored in wildlife and fisheries. Um, and I started actually at the deer pens at Penn State before I even graduated, and, and got a taste in in deer. There got a whole new respect for the power behind a deer when you're wrestling them and and getting them the vaccines that they need, and participating in research. Um, it was a that that was kind of my intro to deer um, outside of hunting. After that, went to Yellowstone National Park, um, and I worked out there on grizzly bear work and working with volunteer or with visitors of the park um, in a highly paid babysitting role. I guess is the way to put that, um, making sure folks didn't try to ride the bison, pet the bears, and you know, slather their kids in honey before they took their picture. <sighs> so that was um, there. There were some interesting moments um luckily very few that were serious in nature but um i also became an emt while i was out there as well um so it was another good kind of life skill to have under my belt uh came back to pennsylvania got married started a family and began working on the allegheny national forest from there a job position opened with national wild turkey federation um and it was a cost share between NWTF and the Allegheny National Forest. I was fortunate enough to get hired in that position. Worked for them for 11 years before another organization known as the National Deer Association stole me away. And here we are today.
0: Well, that is quite the varied background. And you brought up Yellowstone and I was aware of that, but it's something crossed my mind. I know uh, the times I've been there, one of the things that always I don't want to say astonished me, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But the average person who's not of, you know, an outdoors background, or just doesn't have that experience, and how they view and interact with wildlife, I was always amazed at how they just looked at them almost, you know, elk is an example, or bison are very uh, visible there at the park, they just approach them as if they're like, A pet or something like that. So I'm sure you probably had no shortage of experiences like that that were pretty scary.
2: Yeah, we actually created a top 10 t-shirt at the end of each (laughs) season that I worked out there and they were comical, you know, but the reality of it is, is that also shows you the disconnect that humans have with the natural world. So while on one hand it's comical, the other side of that coin is it's very, very sad as well.
0: Yeah, it is very sad. I know many of the awkward interactions I've had with people over the years about wildlife. It it is it really it just really stands out to me how little would we'll just take the average person knows about a lot of wildlife, even wildlife that they say see every single day. And so, what you saw there in Yellowstone, I think a lot of people that go out there, and, and not everybody, of course, but a lot of people their interaction with wildlife comes through what they see on television and a lot of times television does not show the realities of mother nature. And when people say things like well mother nature will just take its course they think it's like this uh, sort of storybook tale out there, but mother nature is very unforgiving very rugged. And when people go to places like Yellowstone or frankly, maybe even in their own backyard, sometimes they get a front seat for it and uh, they're just very unaware and very naive to things.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that is playing out in folks' backyard right now in, you know, songbird nesting season. You can look at a bluebird box, a robin nest, or whatever, and each one of those eggs that hatch are not going to make it, and mom mom knows that and is able to handle it, and the species continues because of the way she handles it.
1: Well, I'm going to have to jump in there with just a fun fact in regards to people that I stumbled across that shocked the heck out of me, is that back 200 years ago when um people were settling you know in and around this area and and even before that one of the things that came i came across in this literature reading was the fact that parents actually knew and the reason that they had so many children was because they pretty much knew or expected that not all of their children were going to actually make it to adulthood just like in wildlife i mean there was it was a very hard and tough time and families lost children as well
0: yeah yeah it's just an extension of that nowadays i mean obviously healthcare care is so much better now and thank goodness we don't live in that same environment but it's not that way in nature so hey let's let's switch gears just a little bit here um turkey season kristen you used to work for the nwtf i know you're a turkey hunter how's the season going for you this spring
2: um well i can sum it up in one word for you which is frustrating <laughs> Um, I have not filled either one of my Pennsylvania tags. I did fill a Miriam's tag in Colorado last month in April, uh, which was cool because that was my first Miriam's hunt. Um, in Pennsylvania, here, I have just last week I had a bird that I could hear walking in the leaves. I could feel it when he gobbled. And he was on the other side of a giant Y black cherry tree and he walked directly in and he turned around and walked directly out. I mean, he was 30 yards away and I couldn't do anything about it. So, so goes hunting. Um, But you know, it's fun to get out there in the mornings and listen to nature wake up even when sometimes she makes you mad.
0: Well, the doctor and I know a little bit about frustrating Turkey hunts and uh, most of our wild B team stories come from Turkey hunting. And I think that's my longest list. And I was talking to a friend the other day that was talking about the frustration and challenges of Turkey hunting, but I knew you were out there giving it a shot. And I did see the bird that you got in Colorado, which was awesome, beautiful bird. And you still have some time. So uh, hopefully you get that tag filled here. So, Hey, so tell us about your job here at NDA. What the heck do you do for us? Well,
2: so I came on as your director of grassroots support and, um, you know, to, to sum it up, what that means is I, you know, I'm kind of the liaison, if you will, between staff um, and, and our volunteer base. So, as most folks realize, our volunteer base is comprised of branches um, and branches really are the local level um, grassroots, pun intended there, I guess you can say, um, you know, mission mission delivery of the NDA. So talking to all those folks, realizing their passion, their drive, their dedication to the to this organization and to conservation in general, um, and making sure that they have the tools that they need to get the job done. That's, in a nutshell, what I do.
0: So Mike, you and I are in a branch. We're in the West Central PA branch. And we had front row seats for starting a new branch and are sort of the growing pains of you know, a lot of folks they have the excitement and the energy where to start and then you start out of the gates hard and then you have to figure out okay we're going to have meetings and what are we going to talk about and what are we going to do um you know mike anything you want to add to that just from your experience i've, I've had i was on a, a branch many many years ago back when it was the qdma and long before i'd ever thought about being in this job but just your your personal experience
1: mike is the west central branch has gotten started Uh, My personal experience is the same thing that you said is that you have to look at it for what it's worth in regards to when a brand starts up there is usually. Someone or a small group of individuals that have a lot of energy that are going to be the people that pull that trigger and get this step take that step and get everything started but. The, the biggest thing that you really have to watch out for and even being involved in a lot of dog organizations is keeping up that momentum and not burning out and realizing at the end of the day that anywhere between five to 10% of the membership is going to do 80 to 90% of the work and not be frustrated with that and look at it as a way that you can participate versus just being a passive um, more of an observer on the sidelines to conservation and hunting and things like that. So it's always good to get involved. I mean, you make you can meet some really unique people, develop some friendships, and at the end of the day, make a positive impact out there. Even even something very minimal that is showing up to meetings or participating with a little bit of financing or your volunteerism, all those things contribute to the big picture. So I w- I'd say not be afraid to get involved and realize that when you do, find your niche and commit to that and be happy about it.
0: Yeah. I look at our, at our volunteers and our branches as really for local people. And there's a reason we call it grassroots, right? Because lo- for the local people at the local level, they see those folks and they say, oh, those folks are the NDA because they will, most people will likely never interact with one of our staff people or they may, it may be brief. But our folks that are out there locally on the ground working on projects working on issues are the really the face of this organization and that's why they're so critically important. And so Kristen when you're talking to new uh, people who are interested in new volunteers for the first time. I mean is is that what a lot of your focus a lot of your uh, attention is focused on.
2: Yeah, absolutely Nick, you know there's a variety of different ways that an individual can decide that they want to volunteer. Um, you know, what people think about most is, man, I don't have time for that, right? I, I'm busy doing 100 other things, running 100 miles an hour. I don't have time for it. Well, volunteerism isn't just time-specific. Um, and I heard somebody once tell me volunteerism can be kind of summed up into three T's, time, talent, and treasure, right? So you can volunteer your time. And if you don't have the time, you can volunteer your talent, Um, You know, in we've got folks that are volunteering for this organization that are working, say, in social media um, professionally or working in, you know, some other capacity professionally where they can put their professional skills um, or their talents to good use for this organization. And the same with Treasure. There are people that are super busy out there and maybe they don't have the time um, or, you know, don't want to put forth the talent, but they're willing to stroke a check. Um, so time talent and treasure are three different ways volunteerism kind of really tie together for the whole ball of wax to to really make an impact at the grassroots level
0: so give us an idea then of some of the things that branches are doing i know they're all very unique and you're looking you get a chance to see branches all across the country Uh, what are some things that are happening out there
2: man there's a ton going on out there right now we have um We've got field to fork events right here in Pennsylvania, you know, where same state we're sitting in right now. And uh, it, that's a fantastic way for branches to get involved with some things that staff are doing um, and, and to have really meaningful and impactful days. Um, you know, they're, they're truly impacting an individual's life They're teaching them a new life skill. And chances are, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now both of those individuals are going to remember that day and you can't say that probably about anything that you did yesterday maybe last week or last month Um, but there's an opportunity to really have an impact with our field of fork program and our branches are gravitating towards that. They're doing some other things too that are still kind of food centric. Um, Up in Michigan we've done a Doe Nation event, DOE Nation event where um, they harvested a bunch of dough and those dough all went to a food bank and are feeding hungry people. Um, we've got folks that are out there just just brand new branches that are like, man, what can we do to get off the ground? Because we're not established enough to hold a field of fork or to hold a donation, but by golly, we want to do something. Um, and you know, even if it's holding a cooler raffle, a gun raffle, whatever it is, you can't eat that elephant all in one bite. Um, so they're taking a little bite at a time and, and maybe they're raffling a Yeti cooler. Maybe they're maybe they have two or three firearms and you know, they're walking around and selling tickets to their buddies. So any number of different ways from you know, big things like that down to down to the guys that are just getting going.
0: Yeah, you've mentioned uh, mentioned a couple of times about fundraising and that's obviously an important part of having a branch to raise dollars that you can keep locally but also support the national organization and the mission and so uh talk about the availability of some goods that we have available to branches to help with fundraising and also just some people think of fundraising they immediately think of the big banquet but there are also other types of fundraisers so how do people get their hands on some of the things to raffle and, uh, um, you know, present at their banquet. And then also what are some other activities they can do?
2: Yep. So we have, um, we kind of termed it a fundraising package this year, as opposed to a banquet, pa- you know, the historic banquet package. And that fundraising package that we have this year has been used at events that are not banquets that are other, um, shooting events or, branches have bought them and then broken them up into smaller pieces and use them here, there, and everywhere. Because that package is so affordable, um, our branch cost is like $1,625. And you get a ton of NDA branded merchandise. You get really good quality gear from a lot of our sponsors and partners. Um, and, and folks are, I mean, general feedback on this package is really, really positive. So folks are using that, like I said, in the traditional banquet realm and doing very well with it. They're breaking it up. They've got some educational sessions going on, some seminars, some things like that. And maybe they'll pull the Yeti low ball out of there and, you know, make a, make, sell some tickets on that at one event. Maybe they'll pull something else out and sell some tickets on it at another educational event that they have going on. So Number of different things. There's an archery shoot coming up uh, this weekend in New York and they're doing some stuff there um, with different product that, that national has been able to kind of help source at lower costs for these branches to be able to use for fundraising.
0: Yeah. A couple other things I'll add to, in addition to the fundraising, um, I, I can just speak for our local branch here, things that were sort of innovative. So we had the County fair, and we took some of the items. We we got some of the items from the NDA sort of national stockpile, and raffled them off and made some money there. Uh, we then just supported a field day where on some state land they were doing a tree planting and we helped uh, with that and purchased lunches for the students that were out planting a few hundred trees. And uh, we're also talking about setting up some habitat walks on properties that members of the branch have to show people. Uh, what can be done out there in terms of habitat work, talking about field to fork. So there is just a laundry list of things right there. But heck if you wanted to, Kristen, you could just literally have a have yourself a pub night and invite some people that just want to talk deer, have some drinks and and have a good time, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean the the sky is the limit when you talk NDA, um, and I mean our poster child is the number one big game species in the world. Right? Like we have and tremendous amount of potential right at our fingertips.
1: Yep. So, so oh, go, okay, ahead, go ahead. I was just going to uh, jump in there real quick. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, Kristen. So basically, you know, you're just starting out this role, so to speak, compared to your previous uh, job with the National Turkey Federation, Allegheny um, National Forest. So give us a, give us a success story. Give us something that has um, kind of impacted you in, in a positive way as you've come over and uh, started this position up to this point.
2: Would you only want one of those? Or can we do oh, a couple? I'll tell
1: you what, give me your top two. How about that?
2: I'll give you one. I'll give you one from yesterday. Um, so yesterday I received Actually the other day I received a phone call or a text message from a volunteer in another state that said, hey, um, you know, I think think we need to kind of light the fire a little bit in this state a little bit more, and I am 100% ready, willing, and able to do it. So we hopped on a Zoom yesterday and talked back and forth a little bit, and he said, man, he said, I want to touch base with all my local chapter presidents. I want to get everybody together. I mean, this guy is fired up right? And he's ready to rock and roll and uh, and and really bring some folks in his state together. And that is absolutely what NDA needs is volunteers to take a leadership role um, in helping get everybody aligned, everybody on the same page and kind of singing from the same sheet of music um, so that our marching orders are in line with each other. and uh, And that's how we grow and we do it effectively. So that's yesterday's success story
1: all right how about one more
2: so um, we've had that's on a volunteer front you know and then we have tons of um, industry partners um, sponsors and and new ones all the time that are coming on and we've got uh, we've had several meetings lately with folks in the industry that just absolutely love what NDA is doing Um, they love that We're taking a a big approach with R3. They love what we're doing with Field to Fork. Um, And they realize that Whitetail Deer Hunters, which is, you know, our volunteer base and our membership base is obviously good for them, you know, in, in the industry, but they're looking at us because we're doing the right things for the right reasons. So to be able to be part of an organization with that kind of reputation within the industry is absolutely a win in my book.
0: Hello friends, today I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, Silencer Central. And I'm particularly excited about Silencer Central right now because I worked with them to order my first suppressor and I just got notification this week that it is shipping so it's going to be in my hands very soon. So I work with Silencer Central, I can tell you the number one reason is simplicity. I had no idea where to start, but they simplify the process. They only do silencers, they are experts, they're ready to listen, they answer your questions, they ship directly to your door. They offer a free NFA gun trust, which that's something you'll learn about as you start to navigate this process. And they also get you going for 25% down. They also offer barrel threading, which is a service that I had done. And they know the rules, which is really critical as you navigate this process. They also prioritize safety and security, and they offer shopping protection folks if you're looking for a suppressor look no further than silencer central as i said they're a great sponsor of the nba and you can find them at silencercentral.com yeah i mean this is uh this is all good and exciting stuff and one of the things you mentioned was fired up and so let's say somebody's been listening to the show here today and they're thinking i don't know if i have a branch near me but i'd like to start one and they're fired up so uh, sort of uh, A to Z, what does it take to start a branch?
2: Well, first thing you do is you um, contact right now it would be myself or um, your local regional director. And we can get a little bit more into that later on. Um, so you talk to a staff member, say, hey, let's rock and roll. And then we walk you through every step of the way through the branch charter process, get your, your local EIN number, help you get your bank account set up. Um, Each state has their own little nuances when it comes to fundraising legalities, so uh, those can be a little bit tricky to navigate, and, you know, the, the initially fired up volunteer starts to navigate through those things that aren't so much fun and sometimes can lose some steam, right? And that's why we as staff are here to kind of help navigate that process and, you know, remind them that this is quite honestly the most painful part of the process we get through this. We're going to be able to get to do it. what it is that you actually want to do, which is why you signed up to be a volunteer in the first place.
0: Yep. yeah, I love it. And I, I think that's key. And that's one of the things I know when we were doing the merger and part of the transition that I talked about often about this grassroots program is that we do not want to be a program where people are just all they do is raise money. Okay, people don't join because they want to raise money necessarily. I mean, some may. But I think most join because of the excitement for the mission and they want to do mission related things. And so I think if you do the mission related things really well and keep people excited, then the fundraising naturally happens off of that. And so, um, you know, really, that is our focus going forward. We need to do mission work, we need to do fundraising, but we need to keep the branches and the volunteers engaged and
1: excited and fired up and not just fired up out of the gate. All right. So I'll jump in here real quick and I'll say that, you know, if someone is either involved in a branch, and it seems like uh, your your members are losing a little bit of steam, um, or if, you know, your branch is going along really well to help to avoid burnout, from my experience with other organizations, is that also, I mean, we talk about, you know, the grassroots mission, we talk about obviously the deer, the conservation aspect of it, and then supporting the national organization. But don't forget to actually reward your members as well as you mentioned, Nick, uh, just a pub night, maybe a cookout, someone, you, you know, bring a plate and, and do like a get together at someone's house and just talk about deer, or um, for members themselves, maybe, you know, you know, using a little bit of that money to bring in um, someone that's a little bit more regionally or nationally known to do an education component where not only can you sell tickets to the general public that might be interested but your members get some or your you know actually branch members get some benefit from that too so I would just you know mention you know don't forget about keeping the members engaged because as Kristen said to keep them fired up you know it's just like everything else I mean there's a certain point where you need a break, you need to reset, you need to kind of refocus and that could bring in some new energy. So always making sure that you're you know, taking a look in not so much always externally, but also within as well.
0: Yep, absolutely. It's not all like I said, it's not all about just the the fundraising and the formal events. It's just about having some fun. I think that's a huge part of it. And so, Kristen, you teased this a little bit ago. So let's come back to it. You mentioned regional directors we're hiring a couple important positions right now, aren't we?
2: Absolutely. We are, Nick, you know, we went through, went through the merger um, and had kind of a, I guess you would call it a skeleton crew and we're kind of starting from that ground level. And what I really like about this organization and the position that we're in right now is that we are building in a very deliberate and strategic way Um to A, be very financially responsible in the process and um, to do to do what it is that we need to do to give our volunteers the support that they need and deserve, right? So right now, um, putting a couple sets of boots on the ground from a full-time staff capacity standpoint, one in the Midwest, one in the South, um, will allow our volunteers better access to staff to help guide them through whether it's fundraising process, mission-related work, whatever it is that they're doing for us.
0: Yep, and the hope would be then we, we have these two initial positions and we want to we do this sustainably. We don't just want to run out and put 20 people on the ground. We have to make sure that our first two are sustainable. And then get to the point, Kristen, I think would be an ideal situation would be that we have a person that can serve a reasonable number of branches and not necessarily a giant chunk of the country. And I think that would, would probably uh, be very welcome by our volunteers out there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We need individuals on the ground that can kind of help lead and guide and steer our branches to keep everybody, you know, like we've alluded to already on the same, on the same sheet of music, you know, but still giving them some ownership and autonomy in what it is that they're doing. Um, you know, there is no... There is no desire for staff to micromanage what our branches are doing. We've got fired up, engaged, passionate volunteers that know what our mission is and can drive towards it. And sometimes all we need to do is keep them within the side rails.
0: All right. So I'm going to ask you for a sales pitch here. Somebody's sitting here listening. Maybe they're not even a member of NDA, but they've been listening to the show. But now they're, in, they're energized and they want to do something. So if I'm a volunteer, maybe I want to start a branch or even find a branch. What do I do next?
2: Well, I mean, the, the hard, the hard part's done, right. They've already decided that they want to come, they want to come on. So, um, you know, keeping them energized, keeping them involved and, you know, circling them back to, Hey, you know, you're going to end up with people that say there's a, practically a deer behind every tree out there. I don't want to, I don't want to join you. You know, I I don't want to join you in this organization. We've got this individual going, man, I know NDA is doing all these great things. How do I get more people to come along with me? How do I get them? How do I get them to step up and, and, and join, you know, join the March so to speak. And, you know, when you take a look back at how important deer are from a conservation standpoint, from a hunting standpoint, um, We're kind of in the heyday of of deer hunting right now, which is fantastic for us. I mean, deer are doing really, really well across a lot of their range. Um, We've got a ton of hunters that call whitetail range home. So they see them day in and day out. They see them when they're driving down the road, they see them on their way to work. Um, And you know, the biggest thing that I'm combating is that we don't have a sense of urgency to conserve this animal, right? We don't have the same sense of urgency that bobwhite quail have that, you know, some species of waterfowl have. So people don't mobilize in force the way they do for other critters when they get to those, those kind of areas of population decline. And my, I guess my answer to that is deer have been there too. You know, historically deer have been there too. and I don't want on my watch for deer to go back to that point, you know, so it is on our shoulders as NDA to make sure that that does not happen. Um, We've said it as humans a lot in the past of, man, there's, there's too many of this species, there's too many of that species, and we'll never have to worry about them, and if you take a look at the extinction list, there's several species on that list that we thought we'd never get rid of. Now, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom and saying deer are going to be extinct if NDA isn't there to take care of them. But when you look at the, the number and diversity of people, of habitats, of landowners, of state and federal agencies, if there isn't an organization out there that is laser focused on bringing all those variables to the equation together and solving it as one equation, you know, my answer is, NDA is needed now more than ever. So come, yeah. you know, come on and join us.
0: Yep, love it. Yeah, the work is never done. There's no finish line, right? If if you ever think there's a finish line, and that's when you run into problems. So, hey, real quick before we get you out of here, I mentioned at the beginning that you're a commissioner for a state wildlife agency. What's that like? I mean, I'm sure you get a chance to interact with all types of people with all types of ideas. So, how's that been for you?
2: It's been a it's been a fantastic honor. Um, and and something that I'm very fortunate to be able to do. Granted, we get the heated discussions primarily about deer, right? I mean, deer are the number one big game animal. If you have 11 hunters in the room, there's probably 12 different opinions. Right. Because people are passionate, right? People are passionate about hunting, passionate about deer. Um, and, And, you know, at the end of the day, what this has taught me sitting in the commissioner's seat for the Pennsylvania Game Commission is that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all hunters, we're all conservationists. And we can disagree on the roadmap from getting from point A to point B, how we think that should happen. But we have the same end goal. There's not a single person out there that buys a hunting license that doesn't want there to be abundant game for them and future generations to hunt. So if we can all circle back and realize that, you know, I don't care if you're Fighting about, you know, how many does should we harvest? Is this buck on the hit list or not on the hit list? Are you a rifle hunter or, or an archery hunter? I mean, none of that really in the grand scheme of things matters, even though we think it does. And in the moment, you know, it does because we get pretty heated about those things. Um, but realizing that wherever people are coming from, they're coming from, um you know, a, a place of passion and it's because it's something that they care about. So we're pretty lucky to have that many people that are that emotionally invested in what it is that we do every single day.
0: Well, very well said, and I appreciate that. And that's why you are the right person for the job you have here at the NDA. You have to deal with diverse opinions and ideas, and it's not always uh, rainbows and unicorns, as they say, but sometimes it is too. And I think you handle both equally well. And so, folks, if you are listening to this and you want to learn more about being a high-level volunteer or you want to start a branch or join a branch, the easiest way to reach Kristen is just Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N at DeerAssociation.com, and I'm sure she'll be able to get back to you. So, Kristen, thanks a lot for taking the time out and being on the show today. It's good to see you.
2: Thanks, Nick. Likewise.
0: That was a good nuts and bolts interview, Mike, for people that listen to the show regularly, maybe follow NDA, maybe your members and not part of a branch, Um, there it is. It was all laid out for you. You know exactly what you need to do. So now it's just about getting in touch with Kristen and pulling the trigger.
1: Exactly. And those types of people that you put in those positions, those leadership positions like Kristen, they are very good about reading people and helping out and being able to determine what your needs are to help the individual receive or achieve their goal. I had a couple points here after listening to Kristen talk, is that I wanted people to go back and make sure they understood or heard. And the one thing was, and you agree, and you agree with this because I know you and I have talked about it a lot, is that in regards to the NDA and and being a volunteer, is that you're not going to be micromanaged. They understand that you are the expert in your geographic region in your local community, and so you might have insight that at the national level. They don't have and so they want you to have that autonomy to be able to make good decisions with the guidance and as Kristen said staying within the guardrails but one other thing that she was talking about in regards to deer and how it's tough to mobilize people because We, you know, we, on an evening drive, we see deer in fields, we see them run across the road, unfortunately, sometimes being hit by cars, etc. So it doesn't seem like there's a need, but I think this kind of goes along to habitat management as well. It takes a special person to be able to look at habitat and see what it's going to become in the future. And the same thing I think goes here is that everyone, you know, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people see deer now, they're a very visible species, but The reason that we are here is because people in the past saw what was going on knew that there was a problem and made changes for the future and that's what I think Kristen was really trying to get the point across is that. Yes, we have a pretty good run right now, but we should be making sure that we're taking that moment to look ahead and ensure that moving forward we're doing the right thing for the future.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's, again, very good information. There's so much opportunity. You and I have talked in the spring when we've been out doing some turkey hunting. A lot of our conversations have to do with habitat opportunity that we see. And we also talk about, well, you said it the other day, even at my place, which a few years ago was just really a part of it was just sort of an abandoned strip mine and very little habitat for turkeys. Well, now I've got turkeys all over it. And it's because I've put the work in and the effort. And that's the most satisfying. It's not even about taking a deer or taking a turkey or whatever it's seeing that habitat seeing that seeing the wildlife respond to it we have
1: grouse drumming uh, that's the cool stuff i think it is i agree and that's really i mean at this point in in the in the game when i was in my 20s i might not have felt that way because it was all about proving that i was a great hunter and and beating my chest and that kind of thing and and we evolve as game managers as conservationists and I think that's something that, at the stage at, that I'm at now, I will tell you, it's very rewarding. And it's not that I can't go out and kill. It's um, it's one of those things where I understand that there is more to the picture, and I like I like that. More to the picture seems like a great transition
0: to uh, this episode's B-team report. <music> All right, Mike, do you want to tell the story or do you
1: want me to tell it because we were there together? Well, you're, you're up first anyway, so let's have you tell the story. But what I will do is I will provide the reading between the lines because as you well know, I analyzed everything right down to the iota and so I'm going to then interject the in between the lines information. How about that?
0: That sounds good. That sounds good. So here we are. We've had a chance to hunt together one day. And it's already making the B-team report. And so, yeah, we're out, we're out hunting turkeys and it's fun. You know, we're having a good time. It's just nice to get out there. And of course, plan A didn't work. We were, we were in the birds and then uh, couldn't get them to come in, and, which is, you know, that's pretty typical. And then so we, we went out and, and checked some other areas and some areas on public land that the doctor knew about. And lo and behold, we get this turkey to answer. And he answered more than once. And so we're like, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and pack up and go after this thing. And so one of the challenges is you get later into turkey season. I mean, I don't know, I've made this mistake a million times. I'm, I'm going to blame it on things like vegetation. Though. It's just sometimes hard to hear exactly how far a bird away is or how far away a bird is. And depending on which way they're facing, when they answer you and so on. And so when we decided to go looking for this bird that was pretty, that seemed pretty active, it seemed like this thing was a mile away and so we you know pack up and we start rolling out into the woods and we kind of get to a point and i don't remember which one it was mike you or me but one of us said you know what we might stop here and give it a call because we've actually covered quite a bit of ground and it was so, you i mean you're the one okay. that
1: said you know we probably should check this bird and um again, that was, I think, the point where you've already filled your turkey tag. So I think you had a little bit less invested in it. And I was in that mental state of 1000 miles an hour. This is a a chance that you're going to have, you already had one chance this spring, and you let it slip between your fingers. So again, you start making, I don't want to say bad decisions, but your decision making process can become influenced or clouded, but go ahead.
0: Yeah, I will just say as a tip, as we're talking about this B team report, we're, or when you hear a bird and you think you know where it is, the smart thing to do is cut that distance in half in your mind and, and assume that it's closer. Because that's been most of my mistakes going after a bird I hear as I go in and I end up busting them out. So anyway, we go in and we stop and uh, decide, okay, we better give it a break, make a couple calls. So the doctor gets the old box call out and nothing. Cranks on it again and nothing. We're like, well, this is a familiar story. Then all of a sudden, we hear this commotion to the right of us. And literally, we we literally stopped right beside this bird that apparently we got on him so quickly, he just hunkered down. And uh, while we're standing there calling, he flushes, <laughs> takes flight.
1: At 12 yards.
0: Yeah, at like 12 yards. And, and Mike, tell us about your gun situation.
1: Well, the whole point is, is so let me so i'll tell you the gun situation the gun situation was is my gun wasn't loaded yet Um, we were walking in and let me so let's back up and start putting the information between the lines is um we pulled over at a spot that historically i knew had been an isolated pocket on game lands that hunters just never found and it's a location that no one would think about pulling over and calling at. All of the parking lot pull off areas are so far away that a bird wouldn't gobble from that distance you're in their zone right here. So I pull out pull out the box call because it has that frequency historically to get them to strike and I get a bird to strike and I get him answering us regularly so. here's where problem number one came in is I got excited which I should because that's what hunting is about, but I didn't pull out my phone and on my APP at least look at the terrain to try and figure out based on the volume that we can hear, and my hearing's not the best either, that's why I pulled you out, is that where do I think, or where do we suspect the bird is? That was error number one. Error number two was because we pulled off in the truck, we decided to roll down the road further in the vehicle. And the fact that we didn't appreciate walking distance was, uh, I think, error number two. We should have just, like I should have like, just got my stuff out, stayed there had you find a spot to pull off down the road and then meet you so that I had in my mind orientation to where that bird gobbled and I hadn't left that scenario in in regards to my mind. Like my mind works that way where if I hear a bird gobble and I'm walking, I feel like I'm more engaged. But we jumped in a vehicle and rolled down the road in just a matter of a couple seconds. And I don't think we appreciated the distance that we traveled. So then we jumped out. Again, I still thought that bird was back in a mile based on what we thought we walked 200 yards after we pulled out our phones finally and checked the distance from the truck we walked in 200 yards when you said i think we should stop now could he have been coming towards us i'm thinking that where we were and looking at the topography to where we bumped him at i don't think he had moved at all i think we actually closed the distance on him way too fast with the vehicle and then getting out and walking because we walked in at a pretty good clip too because we were trying to um, outpace the time because it was creeping up on closing time we only had about two hours before it closed and we need I wanted to have as much of that time as I could so uh, those were the errors in in our decision making process so far yeah, yeah and then the last one was not having not having my gun loaded now again to try and actually to take a, a shot you know at a bird flying away in actually try and hit it in the head versus like hunting grouse or pheasants or woodcock or something like that. That's a different story, but um I probably wouldn't even have shouldered the gun even if I did have it loaded. But the whole point was my gun was unloaded. The rip was twelve yards tucked down behind a hemlock tree in this uh drainage cut. And the drainage cut was about three feet deep um into this hemlock bottom where water from just runoff from the opposite side of the road had washed it out and he tucked up underneath some roots to try and hide from us. And when we actually called and he didn't answer and we called again, didn't answer. And we just sat and listened quietly because we were going to think about what we should do next. And that silence is what made him nervous. And at that point he busted out of there.
0: Yeah, he did. And obviously we're not, you know, we're not doing spot and stalk turkeys and we're not going to shoot at flying, running away birds. But it was funny, had the bird just sort of walked out of there and stopped, we wouldn't have been able to shoot at him anyway. Correct. And, uh, yeah, and so it was just one of those things. We just looked at each other, shook our heads, and said, "Well, there's our B team story for <laughs> the next episode." And so, the good news though is we did find some really good sign and some good some uh, good spots to set up in the future. So it wasn't. Uh, what do they say? You don't. You don't always. If you lose, you learn. I guess so it's not always just a loss, and so we learned some things. Yep. So that's the B team report. Hey, uh, other things going on, Mike. I know um, we're getting later into the planting season. So I put my garden in number one, nobody cares about that, but I did get that done. But I planted um, a visual barrier along the front of the road frontage on my place. I've never done that. I've seen a lot of other people do it, Uh, but I'm going to give it a try this year. I just put that in the ground the other day. So we'll
1: see what the results are. Like we talked about, it's, it's always a process trying to tweak. And you've seen some good improvements with some of the things that you've done and you know, you and I have discussed it. I'm sure you've discussed it with Ron. It's something that we think is going to continue to add to your place.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I used the Whitetail Institute uh, barrier product. We'll see how it turns out. I did everything that they said to do, uh, but we'll see. The soil's a little sketchy there up along the road, but we'll see what happens there. So I got that in the ground. Uh, Also, last week I got a chance to speak at the National Shooting Sports Foundation Marketing and Leadership Summit down in Savannah, Georgia. That was really cool to be in front of a large group of firearms industry uh, leaders. So that was good. Appreciate that opportunity. So it's been a busy, busy couple weeks. So, uh, Mike, anything going on in your world on the Habitat end
1: or project-wise? Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to give a public service announcement, if that's okay. And this goes back to when you and I were doing the old Red Dog Road podcast together, but this is uh, the perfect time of year To do a walk around your house, even if you don't own property, but to do a walk around your house and empty outstanding water, this is you know those standing water locations are mosquito breeding grounds and you know with West Nile Zika virus things like that, and we did it for like the West Nile for grouse. uh, Trying to minimize this the stress and the transmission of that on grouse but uh, walk around your house today or over the next couple days, and especially after it's rained if there's some um bin bowl old tire empty flower pot a uh, watering trough that's not being used um dump it out and um if you need to refresh water for 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 an animal or something like that then just refresh the water but if there's mosquito larva in there uh dump it out and minimize the stress on those uh mosquito transmitted diseases
0: absolutely that is good public service i i dread the idea of mosquito season but the reality is it's here. I've actually got mosquito bites already on my arm from uh, from last evening's baseball game, it turns out. So they're out there. Hey, folks, I want to thank everyone for participating in our second annual giving day. We had a great day. We increased the number of people who gave to the NDA by 39% from last year. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I recognize in addition to the dollars we raised, it, it does take an effort to take a few minutes to go out and and hit submit and send a gift. I don't care if it's a dollar or a thousand dollars. And so thank you very much for doing that and for thinking of us. We we very much appreciate it. Also, I want to point out that uh, the latest NDA newsletter has some really cool stuff in it. So Matt Ross has an article in there that talks about how far deer can swim. It is a, it's a lengthy and detailed article, but it's worth the read. Check it out. There's some pretty cool stories in there and good statistics. Uh, Also, our Dear Season 365 podcast, uh, we had Mark Turner on to do part two of the Food Plot Masterclass. He did part one back in the April 5th episode. And so as you're thinking about, you know, now's the time. If you're thinking about even fall food plots, even though it's just spring, now's the time you need to be thinking about what your plan is and getting your seed and getting things uh, in order. And also, there's still time if you want to do some things in the summer. Last year, I did some buckwheat plots that turned out pretty well. Uh, Now's the time to be thinking about that. So I'd point you to those episodes and check those out. Also, Brian Grossman had an article, if you go on our Facebook page, about saddle hunting. If you want to try saddle hunting this fall, you don't want to wait until August and September to get your stuff and figure it out, okay? I can tell you that as hunting season gets close, materials, uh, products get scarce. And so don't put yourself in that situation where you're trying to do it last minute, much like the doctor and I did When we started this about three years ago, we decided like a week before deer season, we were gonna be saddle hunters and we just figured it out. So anyway, don't be like us, be smart and plan ahead. Also, and finally, we are giving away an Alps Outdoors Motive Trail Camera Backpack. So trail camera season, uh, the traditional trail camera season will be fast approaching and these packs are really nice because they hold multiple cameras in one place keep everything in one spot for you while you drive around and uh, hit all your good spots so all you have to do go to deerassociation.com slash does not cost you a thing you just enter your contact information and you have a chance to win that great pack from our good friends at alps outdoors so again free to enter folks we do appreciate you listening we enjoy making the show we hope you enjoy listening just as much National Deer Association, where we are United for Deer.